Do you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Click the support button and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast. This helps keep our podcast going and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you. We see you. And we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club, where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we're talking about an old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy, two radio plays by the great Lucille Fletcher, the suspense episode Sorry Wrong Number from 1943, and the suspense episode The Hitchhiker from 1942 with my wonderful, brilliant guest, Nick Lang. Hello, everybody. Welcome, Nick Lang, back to the show. It's nice to have you here on Talk Classic to me. Hello, Sarah. It's great to be back. This week, we did something a little different. We switched it up. You will notice in my intro, I often say like any other form of, I forget what I say, old-fashioned media that strikes my fancy. I say something like that. And you're probably like, what other old-fashioned form of media, Sarah? Well, guess what? Not only am I into classic movies, I am also very, very, very much into old-timey radio shows. I love them. I listen to them almost every day. They're one of my most favorite things on the planet. So this week, we discuss two old-timey radio shows. Probably the most famous of all time, which is Sorry Wrong Number. Um, It's a suspense play. And another suspense play, The Hitchhiker, both by this woman, Lucille Fletcher, who is like the queen of old-timey radio. So that's what we did. Nick, what did you think? I loved them. This is exactly the kind of thing that I like. You can pop it on, listen to it. And they're short too. They're less than 30 minutes each, maybe. I like that because you can get more. You can get more story. Like in under an hour, we had two full stories and um, they were both fantastic. I know nothing about who was in them or who wrote them or or anything like that. So you're going to tell me all about that, right? Oh my God, I can't wait. Well, okay. So the reason I picked these two, there are so many radio shows that you can choose from. I want to say where I listen to my radio shows so the people at home can do it if they want. I mainly listen to radio plays on through Sirius XM on this station called Radio Classics and you can get the Radio Classics app. And I think a company called Radio Spirits does all of it so if you download the radio spirits app i think you get content for free so that's a place you can listen to old radio plays um you can also find almost anything through youtube if you know the name or what you're looking for so check that out because it's such a cool medium like we're just starting now to get back into cool audio things but this is like the golden age of it they do it so well and it's so interesting and it's great to hear another time and we're gonna 2021 lens it at some point of course like There's a lot of racism, a lot of sexism, like that's going to be in the medium too. But there's also really cool stuff there as well. And I I chose these two specifically because Lucille Fletcher, as I mentioned before, is like considered the queen 
of writing radio plays. Her radio plays are excellent. She's yeah. won awards for them. Sorry, Wrong Number is considered the best of all time. She wrote both of them. She wrote both of them. This woman, Lucille Fletcher, yes. That's incredible. So she's great. And I picked both of these from this series called Suspense that aired on CBS Radio. And it was a 22-year series. It went for 22 years. It was created by Alfred Hitchcock. I've heard the first episode they played on the station. Um, it was his idea to kind of have just a story of suspense where the listener is constantly being given new information and not sure what's going to happen until the last possible second. So this was like Alfred Hitchcock's brainchild. And the first one was a retelling of his movie, The Lodger. He did a silent film called The Lodger, which mm -hmm. of course I have seen. And <laughs> um, yeah, he did a radio play version of it. And it's so cool. So yeah, Suspense was a very popular, very long running series of radio. So that's also why I chose it. You're going to be in good hands if you choose Suspense. It's going to usually be good quality. That's fantastic. It's like the 20 year podcast. Actually, Suspense was one of the very last things ever to be heard on the radio as a radio play. There were, really? I forget, there were two things. It was that and it was something else. Part of me thinks it was Johnny Dollar, but part of me is like, no, that's wrong. That might be wrong. But I know like of the very last when they were like, and we're done playing radio plays. And we're transitioning to music. Suspense was one of the very last things played. Man, oh man. Right? Music, right? Ruining everything. It's great that we have it. But these radio plays are so cool. They're so cool. But they were like, we've got television. It's radio you can see. And that's kind of why they died out because of television. Yeah, but I feel like it's coming back. Oh, it's totally coming back. It's coming back, but it's like modern now. So I like this old timey sound. And so I kind of wish that modern ones would be made with old timey sound and that people would put me in them because I could totally do it. If you need me and you're out there and you write them, oh, hi, I could totally do that. People listening at home. Do it, guys. Everybody, even if you don't have an old timey radio podcast, start one and cast Sarah. And I could be in it. I could use my 1940s voice. Did you guys hear that? She sounds just like she's from the 40s. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that sales pitch. Thanks. So yeah, that's why we watched these. And then I'll just do a quick like plot synopsis rundown. You can listen to these. I put the links up on our Instagram page. If you click on the link in the bio, the top two, um, the top two links are links to listen to these episodes. So go listen to them first. We're going to have spoilers here. Um, they're very easy to listen to, super quick. I think you're going to like them. You can be doing anything and listen to them. That's the best part. You go with TV, you got to watch it. This one, you don't even have to watch it. I listen to them on my walks almost every day while I'm doing the dishes, all these things. While I'm cooking, just put it there on. There you go. While I'm wiping down my groceries meticulously because I still do that this far into the pandemic. Yeah. You know. And a radio play is, is, is interesting and different than an audiobook because yes. an audiobook is, you know, a lot of prose. What's great about a radio play is it's just the dialogue. Yeah. And it's a, a very interesting thing to listen to a story that is told exclusively through dialogue because they need to say where they are. They need to say what they're doing. They need to say the right amount and make it interesting. Well, and it's, the a, effects, it's a great art form. The and the effects are these fantastic. These two are seamless. They're just perfect. Like that was one of the things I wrote down about how, how incredible the effects were that really put you in the scene. You're not thinking like, that's a stupid sound effect. You're like, oh my God, I'm on a train track right now. There's a train rushing by me. It's incredible yeah. how they do these. Let's dive in. We're going to do the plot synopsis of Sorry, Wrong Number first, which I recommend listening to first. And keep in mind how awesome it is while you're listening. I've heard it a lot because this is the one where when people are like, well, Sarah, I don't know. 
know what to listen to or like, hey, we're stuck on a long road trip. What do you think we should do? This is the one I put on to get people hooked because it's so interesting. It's this story based on a woman that Lucille Fletcher saw in a grocery store who she thought was being rude to someone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's one single woman who we find out through the course of the radio play. At first, as an audience, we're on her side. We hear a phone dialing and we hear a busy signal. And then we hear a woman talking to an operator and saying, I'm trying to reach my husband. I just wanna reach my husband. And she, we find out through various people that she speaks to that she's an invalid at home, that she's alone tonight, that her husband is late at work and she can't reach him. She gets connected somehow. She overhears a conversation yeah. about two men planning on murdering a woman. Yeah. And she tries to stop this. But we find out through the series of events that she sounds more and more like the woman that they're going to kill. Yeah. And in the end, guys, guess what? Spoiler alert, they kill her. She dies. Spoiler alert, she's dead. Spoiler alert, it was her. She dies, which also is weird for these radio plays because a lot of times if there is a death, there's always justice because it was like the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, yeah. So what's interesting about this is like, we can maybe assume there might be justice later, but for the most yeah. part, they get away with it. She's murdered. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. It's so cool the way they give us information and build it is what I think. I Yeah, that was a good synopsis of the plot. Thanks, Nick. Does the character have a name or no? Mrs. Albert, what was it? It was just her married name. Right. That's gotcha. all. We don't even know her first real name. Who's doing the voice, though? Who's oh, doing the voice? Oh, okay. Okay. So this woman, Agnes Moorhead, she is the voice of this suspense play. She is absolutely fantastic. I love Agnes Moorhead so much. Nick, you might know her from Bewitch. She played the aunt. And she Dora. played the aunt? Okay. Yeah. But she's a fantastic radio actress specifically. She's been in so many films. I think she's a total badass. I like her because she kind of got her career started a little bit later. And I always think that's really interesting um, yes. when people aren't just like young and make it when it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort um, and training. She's fantastic in this. She ends up doing this six times, this specific radio piece. Really? Um, and she performs more on suspense than any other actor or actress. Was this live? This was live, right? I don't 100% know, but a lot of them were filmed live. Or recorded. Or like recorded in front of an audience. This was not recorded in front of an audience. I actually don't know if this was recorded live, but they allowed mistakes to be in it. So that leads me to believe that it was recorded live. If she did it live, that's even more impressive because this one's a workout. Well, because she's so good at doing these parts. She does a couple of other Lucille Fletcher plays and she's so good at doing a full spectrum of a character where yeah. it's like she understands the journey and where you need to be at as an audience and she gives you what you need in each moment. So in the beginning, she sounds frail, weak, and kind of sweet. And the more we get to know her, this like meanness of character comes out and the harsher yeah. her voice gets and the more kind of out of control and reedy she sounds. It's obviously not okay to kill her, but you go like, this is why the husband wants to kill her. Uh, but what is it that they call people? Karens? Yes. She's like a Karen for yeah. sure. Which breaks my mom's heart because I'm sorry, mom, I know you're listening and your name is Karen and you're not a Karen and I'm so sorry that that name was chosen. But even in dire circumstances, she's interested in belittling the people around her and she's interested still in status. So even when like her life is in danger, she's calling like, I need to call the best hospital, the most exclusive private hospital. And I am yeah. Mrs. Albert, whatever my name is. And like, so she's still very interested in those things, even as her death is coming. And yeah. when they're like, you know, how's your relationship with your husband? She's like, it's perfect. He waits on me hand and foot. You're like, oh no, you get yeah. 
the sense of her. But at the same time, this time, I know it's going to happen now. So this time I was reading it like, oh, God, they're not believing a woman. Oh, this sucks. I, I get that she's unpleasant, but like yes. she doesn't deserve to die. And it sucks that no one believes her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, de yeah she's definitely still the hero. That's what I yeah. love about it is that <laughs> she is the hero. Like she does not deserve to be killed. Yeah. Um, but she is a flawed hero. And I love that. And I love how she does get so swept up in her fear. Because you can tell that she's a nervous, kind of neurotic person who has health problems. You go like, okay, how much is this like actual health problems versus her neuroses? And um, she gets into these things where she's scared, she's terrified, and she's taking it out on other people by calling them stupid and saying, I'm going to get you fired or whatever, and I want to talk to your manager and things like that. She's very, she's a very interesting character because she's like stuck at home. She's afraid to leave her home. Well, and she's bedridden, she says, too. Yeah. So you go, she tries to order a nurse to come to her house. She's terrified. Um, and I just, I love that kind of character that is someone who desperately wants other people, but also can't help but push them away. You know, there's a difference between like a, a good, you know, protagonist of like this person does good and they're heroic or something like that. And then like a good protagonist yeah like an interesting someone with faults this is someone that you you enjoy watching on this journey or listening to on this journey in this case well because the thing is we as the audience do want her to make it we want her to survive but we see we understand through her interactions with everyone why it's happening it's like just the most fascinating thing of like oh i don't want this to happen I, I see your side, but I also see this, what you're putting out into the world and why this might end up happening. You look at her doing everything and you go, oh no, oh no, don't do it. Don't say that. Because you're saying it all wrong. You're saying it wrong. Like you're a hundred percent right. Everything yes. you're saying is right. And, but then she also doesn't want to be inconvenienced in the beginning. I loved that little detail where she was like, we're going to catch these murderers, but I don't want to call the police. I really, you're making me call the police. I'm going to get caught up in all this red tape. And I love that she doesn't want to get caught up in red tape. She goes like, well, I have a vague interest of catching these murderers, but she doesn't want to talk to the cops. And I relate to that very much. But they're the same. They also don't want the red tape and they are also lazy and don't want to deal with it because they're everyone she talks to is kind of like her in that way of like, oh, this is too much work. It's just easier to like not believe what you're saying. Plus you're acting very neurotic so we don't even need to listen to what you're saying and the cop is basically like well we can't figure it out till they're dead sorry yeah although he does say at one point he says a lot of crime happens we prevent most of it and yeah. i was like yeah right <laughs> <laughs> yeah right dude well and what i was wondering too this particular viewing i was like wait i wonder when 911 was invented because we have an yeah. emergency service we can call now, and that's what she would have done. She would have called, and she probably would have been like, look, I'm having an, uh, yeah. an anxiety attack, or I'm... she could have made something up, but she could have had people there um, instead of trying to call the hospital and get a nurse, instead of trying to call the police. Yeah. That was what I was wondering. Like, when was 911 911? When did that start to exist? Yeah. 
I have literally no idea. That's another thing that's very interesting to listen to because this is from 1943 and it's very interesting that phones operate completely differently. The idea of an operator that's so out of the realm of our reality that there's someone that has to connect you to a call and someone that's on one of those boards that has all those different plugs on it and goes like, okay, I'll find your, your number and let me connect you now. It's so different. And I was like, phone lines are very interesting. Earlier you were saying like, how does she overhear the conversation? Cause I'm going like, I don't know how phones work. <laughs> But you know that like we had this more when we were like kids where there would be your house line and you could pick up a receiver and listen in on somebody's phone call. So I was like, okay, when she is connected to her husband's line, I'm like, is it less like what we think it is where on our phones, we specifically dial one person that has their phone and if an, that person is getting another call then they go it's two separate calls this was more like they had a phone line and the operator plugs you into that line and so it's kind of like the line can be on and she gets plugged into it in a conversation that's already happening so that's my guess but i really couldn't tell you one way or the other that's that was the rationale in, in my mind what's very fun about it is that she then just says well obviously i was connected to the wrong number yeah well because we think that is an audience listening we're like oh shit, she did get we don't think it's to her husband at first i think i wasn't immediately thinking she was with her husband were you immediately did you know from the beginning what was going to go down the thing is sarah is that i think this is so famous that i think maybe i've seen some version of it or maybe i've even heard this before i can't remember but it's such a classic story and like for me who's like obsessed with like horror movies and stuff like that <laughs> with always the the calls coming from inside the house you know so i'm like oh she did from the get-go i was like okay this is obviously not the wrong number this is her husband's line and her husband is plotting to kill her and this whole thing is about seeing her kind of like unravel but what's fun is that she is putting it together and you're watching her put it together the dramatic question for me was okay is she going to get killed or is it going to be that she was just imagining the whole thing and she's just t completely neurotic and so narcissistic that she also says, well, they have to be coming to kill me. It's still fun to listen to. Even if you can guess the end, you go like, it's still interesting. But the things that make you doubt it is going like, okay, if one of the men talking was her husband, did she not recognize her? Well, it wasn't the husband because it, it was wasn't. the client. It was, they were saying, you know, our client wants this. So it was the guy that her husband hired and the guy that was going to do the killing. So it's like that two business halves. So then was at least one of them at her husband's office? I think that must have been it. Yeah. Okay. So okay, it was maybe there. like the husband and this guy had a meeting. The husband paid the guy. And then that guy was arranging it. I, I love that. And it's also just, she's a funny character because she's 
calling everyone stupid the whole time and people that are doing their jobs just fine and then she's going oh you're so stupid and incompetent well because what she really meant it's just like look this is an emergency something's happened please let me explain it like there's other ways of saying what she's trying to say and she just can't do it her immediate reaction is to belittle she's again the perfect person to put on this adventure her faults have put her on this adventure because this is why her husband wants to kill her. This is why she can't save herself despite however much she tries. She can't help but be kind of nasty to people. And that makes people dislike her, even though she is 100% correct. And she is. Like, her instinct is good. Because I think maybe some people might, like, overhear a murder plot and be like, eh, it's probably nothing. But she takes it seriously and she says, like, I'm doing my civic duty. Why aren't you doing your civic duty? Like, she's really actively trying. So that is, that is a merit for her. That is something we as an audience like about her, that she is actively trying to do the right thing, even though she goes about it so terribly. It's great. She's great. So Agnes Moorhead, you know her from Bewitched. She was Aunt Andorra. But she is so interesting because I feel like most actors that are in film at this time get their start either in stage work or because they're beautiful and they live in L.A. and they're doing something where a producer's like, you, come here, you know. She starts out in radio and builds up her acting career through radio. And it's really interesting that I paired these two together because the reason she's in movies is because of Orson Welles. So Orson Welles was the guy in The Hitchhiker. Mm -hmm. He creates like this radio company. Well, first he creates a theater company that's like kind of pretentious. And then he creates a radio theater company that's also kind of pretentious. But Agnes Moorhead is a player in that company. And she builds up this large like body of work doing a lot of radio. I had mentioned she got started later First of all, she's so damn smart, this woman. She got a degree in biology. She got her master's degree in like English and public speaking. And then she went to New York and studied at ADA. And so she's like 29 years old, getting a theater degree, starts booking work in her mid thirties and doesn't even make her first movie till she's 40. And guess what her first movie is? Citizen freaking Kane. It's Citizen Kane. Her oh, nice. first movie is Citizen Kane. Wow. Which is Orson Welles' like big artistic like. Mm. That's the big one, the one That's that the one. that all the film teachers say is the greatest movie ever made. And then you watch it now, and you're like, eh. you, go, you, go, <laughs> you know, maybe the, someone's done better since then. Still yeah. cool. It's still cool. cool, it's cool. Still creative, but you know, still it's not cool. My but the best, movie. the best movie <laughs> ever. So yeah, she's in Citizen Kane, starts off from film career at the age of 40. She is a character actor in a whole lot of things, and she kind of hits it out of the park each time. She's famous kind of, I think, for playing like haughty, arrogant, outgoing people, but she can play the flip side of that really beautifully as well. And that's also why she's great in noirs too, because she's the kind of character where you're like, oh, I kind of like you. Oh, you're terrible? Okay, cool. She can switch on you really easily and really beautifully, and she's great with nuance. Um, so she's in... Citizen Kane, The Magnificent Ambersons, also a Orson Welles picture. She was nominated for four Academy Awards. Wow. She won an Emmy and two Golden Globes. She was also in um, Since You Went Away, Dark Passage, which I love and I love her in, um, All That Heaven Allows, which we've watched on the show, which is another great film, and it's where she's playing the sweet, smart lady that you like. Um, she was in Johnny Belinda, Showboat, Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte, among so many other things. She has this really long career, and I think it's because she's never defined by her beauty. She's defined by, like, the characters she can play. She's not, like, 
a sex symbol. Therefore, she's allowed to have a very long career. She shined in radio, did so much radio work for a very long time as well, and was recognized for her radio work in the day. And her radio plays are truly phenomenal. If you stumble upon an Agnes Moorhead radio play, listen to it. You're going to be blown away. She's different every time. Oh, and she might have been bisexual. That's another cool, iconic thing about her. Oh, and I think I already said this. She was cast more in Suspense's 946 episodes than any other actress or actor. She's the first lady of Suspense and Radio. Did you just say 946 episodes? There were 946 episodes over 22 years. And how many was she in? I don't know, but she did this specific radio play six times. Six times, gotcha. Just this play. So all of her other things, she has like countless radio appearances. Did they do this play six times on suspense? I think, but I also think they did it on, so there were a lot of programs that would take the same stories and use them. So like there's another show called Escape that's kind of like suspense. And I feel like certain stories were recycled on both of those and in various platforms. So I don't know if it was always on suspense, but I would assume that it was. I gotcha. And then they actually made a film of this that I've never watched all the way through with Barbara Stanwyck. And I just, I don't know, I never... When was that? That was in 1948, so five years after okay. this. Let's watch it. Let's I would watch, watch that. I It was on my DVR for a year and I watched the first 20 minutes and then I turned it off. Okay, so they do have a blooper in this. Uh, towards the end of the play... The guy that kills her, because uh, we're at the end, we're not even sure if she really is killed at first, right? Because um, mm-hmm. you hear her scream and you sounds like she's being like strangled or something as the train goes by her window. It's a knife, though, right? He says, "Will a knife do okay? Will a knife be all right?" I like that conversation that the killer has. Of, They're so casual. Do you want about it, it to be a gun or a knife? A knife, all right. And don't forget to take the jewels, so it looks like a thieving job. And he's like. Oh, got it. Got it. Don't even have a second thought. No problem. I'm a professional. I hope that never happens to me. But now I'm like, oh, no, Nick, wait. You knew I was going to be here filming the podcast. Did you hire somebody? (laughs) Yeah, don't worry, though. He's a professional. He'll make it nice and clean. Minimal amount of pain. <laughs> Is um, it? Don't they also say that in the thing? They go like, yeah. the client wanted minimal amount of pain. Yeah, it, it it's real sad. It's real sad when the husband leaves the message of, he tried to call you. He's out of town. And you go, this guy's a liar. That's sad. There's a blooper towards the end where, so we, we're like, oh shit, did she just die of natural causes? Did she like scare herself to death? But then... So she was calling the police as she was dying. And the police are supposed to pick up the phone, but you can tell the actor playing is like, oh my God, no one's saying anything. I guess I'll just say my line. So he says his line. He's like, police? Sorry, wrong number. And then the police says like, hello, police. Hello, officer Bloa. He keeps saying it. And so the actor goes again, I'm saying the same line I just said again. And I... I love that it's there. I, it makes it just so real. And in the Orson Welles one, he has a little cough in his throat at one part too. I just like that they keep these things in. I think it adds to the humanness of it and it makes it like a moment in time when this happened. People made this once in 1943. They were all in a room together and they made it and they messed up and it's great. <laughs> Incredible. And here we are. And here how we many, are. How many years later? Almost I 80, can't do 80 math. years? It's what, 78 years? We're going to move on to The Hitchhiker. Just dabble a little there. Second Lucille Fletcher play. I keep wanting to call her Louise Fletcher because there's an actor named Louise Fletcher. It's really hard for my brain. Lucille Fletcher. Want to hear something cool that ties these stories together, Nick? Are you ready for yes. this? Yes, so, I'm ready. The Hitchhiker is about one man's supernatural journey from New York to Los Angeles taking Route 66. The first time I ever heard Sorry Wrong Number was 
on the road trip my mother and I took from Michigan to California on Route 66. Wow. I connect both stories together. It's got a little hitchhiker, a little sorry wrong number, and my mom had heard sorry wrong number before and was cracking up at my reactions because I didn't think she was going to die because it's old radio. And I was like, no, she's going to live. She's going to live. So when she died, I was like, (gasps) and I was shocked. And my mom (laughs) thought that was hilarious because I couldn't handle it. I was shocked. That's a nice little connection. That's beautiful. Um, But I could also picture where he was. Did you do the big, did you do the road trip or did you fly out? I drove out to LA. I've driven to LA several times. Yes, but I think my main drive out to LA, I did do it from Chicago to LA. And then I've done LA back to Chicago. I've done that before. But I've never done New York to LA. I've been from New York to Chicago, and then I've been from Chicago to so I just say just add those two together. Been from go. New York to Michigan, and then Michigan to LA. Add it all together in my brain. We've got it. Okay. And when I loved that I could picture where he was stopping, since I had made that drive, I w- I knew the places. I loved that. So the hitchhiker. This is a very famous story. Nick, yeah. you know it because you were like it's the Twilight Zone. That was one of the reasons I picked it because it's. Yes. Her two most well-known pieces are Sorry, Wrong Number and The Hitchhiker. I don't love The Hitchhiker. I just kind of picked it because I thought they tied really well together and because it's so famous. But if you were like, Sarah, is this your favorite? I'd be like, nah, there's a lot of other ones that I like a lot better. It is really good, though. It is very good. Oh, and I forgot to mention one cool thing about um, Sorry, Wrong Number is it's a play that takes place in real time. So everything that's happening is happening in everyone's world. There's no jumping through time. It's like all in one 29-minute stretch. And that happens every now and then in radio plays. So, The Hitchhiker. There's this guy, Orson Welles, famous radio and film personality. So famous. The brain from Pinky and the Brain is based on him. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. Maurice LaMarche doing doing an Orson Welles impersonation. When did Orson Welles die, though? He died in 1985. And he did this, like, you know, that weird, like, rant about peas. And that's where the voice of the brain came from because they had this recorded rant that Orson Welles did and they were like, that's the brain. And then they had Maurice LaMarche like riff on that. Maurice LaMarche has done Orson Welles several times over several cartoon shows. And that was how I learned who Orson Welles was. No, really? (laughs) Not like through actually Orson Welles. It was through like cartoon parodies of the War of the Worlds and Citizen Kane and stuff like that. And then only when I was older, the first time I saw Citizen Kane was in college. The first time I heard about it was from Animaniacs when they do Citizen Kane-y. So I guess they taught us everything. And there's an episode of uh, Tiny Toons where Montana Max, it's like he is uh, Citizen Kane and he's in his big mansion and he says, Acme. And then everyone is trying to find out what Acme means. And like Acme is like a a company that makes a bunch of stuff in in the Looney Tunes and Tiny Tunes world. But then what it turns out at the end is they're like, what's that rich kid thinking? What was the thing going through his head when he said Acme? And then he said, no, acne. I have acne. And he had a pimple and that he was really (laughs) upset about. Sorry, I just spoiled that episode of Tiny Tunes. I didn't know that that was like a common thing that people knew. Yeah, Rosebud is so famous. But I meant the that. um, Oh, that that Maurice Lamar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say a lot of people don't know. So the hitchhiker, (laughs) he's a guy 
Orson Welles, and um, he's going to make this road trip from New York to Hollywood. And his mom's like, don't do it, son. She says something really ominous. Also, fun fact, just want to point this out. So in the credits, you know how they have like, dum, bum, 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 but they have that creepy music for suspense. Yeah. The guy that wrote that music, his name is Bernard Herman. He's the conductor of the CBS Orchestra. He's Lucille Fletcher's husband. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. So that's a fun thing. He conducted and wrote the music for this. That's incredible. I wonder if they consulted. Well, they did write an opera together of Wuthering Heights, and they wrote it starting before and after they got divorced because <laughs> he cheated on her with her cousin named Lucy. And you're like, that's annoying. My name's Lucille and you cheat on me with a Lucy. Come on. Yeah. But they still worked together. So there you go. We kind of open and he's like, I'm in an auto camp in Gallup, New Mexico. I maybe am going crazy. I don't know. Let me tell you the story and you could decide for yourself. And he says something like, this might be the last night I have on earth. And you're like, well, there you go. Yep, it might be. Okay, so he's going to take a trip. It's a three-month trip. He's going to Hollywood and back. She's worried, but she says something like, be careful, don't die. Yeah, she said, you will die. If you go, you'll die. Be careful, bye. And he's like, no, mom, I'm still going. And so he goes, I have to go. I have to. I won't even tell you why, because it's not important, but I must go. So on the road, he keeps seeing this hitchhiker as he goes. And what's weird about this hitchhiker is not that it's like an ominous dude, but that it's like a regular dude that droops a little bit that has rain splattering on his shoulders when in fact there is no rain. Even in New Mexico and Oklahoma where it's sunny, the guy's got rain on his shoulders. It creeps him out. And he keeps going and going and going. And eventually, spoiler alert, we find out that he died through a phone call, because phone calls are also a common theme in these two stories. Through a phone call to his mother, who he finds out is in the hospital because she's having a nervous breakdown because her son died. He finds out that he has died. And they don't totally finish it out, but we're like, oh, that man, that hitchhiker, was death. Was yeah. death coming to collect him mm -hmm. and take him wherever the hell death goes? Yeah. So, yeah. I did think I found a thread in it, though. I was so excited, and then my thread didn't work. But it was when he was putting quarters to make the phone call. They asked mm -hmm. for six quarters, then six quarters. And I was like, if there's a third six, holy shit, that's like hell. But there wasn't. <laughs> it was two sixes and then 85 cents, there's, which is... There's no third six. Three quarters of a dime. So really, I was so excited by my theory and then was immediately rebuffed. Well, you know, it's 85 cents. It was... Uh, no, it was... So two, what's two sixes plus 85 cents? Two six quarters and 85 cents. It was 150 plus 150 plus 85 cents. 150 plus 150 is $3. $3.85. So $3.85. <laughs> okay, great. I love on the podcast when we try to do math. <laughs> when we try to do the most simple math. Well, do you know what's extra funny about this? My mom and brother are literally accountants. That is their job. So they got all of that brain and left me none, but I'm really good at talking. So there, there you, you go. go. Karen, this is your fault. <laughs> you took all the math. She gave it to my brother. They can do it. It doesn't actually say it. Doesn't actually 100% say it, but it does imply that the hitchhiker is death. And I feel like as soon as I started listening to this one, I knew 
this eventually became a Twilight Zone episode. Mm -hmm. I didn't totally know, but I knew it was a famous story. The Hitchhiker is like the basis of literally an episode is an adaptation of The Hitchhiker. But then also there are so many Twilight Zone episodes where it's like, it turns out that guy was death. So many Twilight Zone episodes are, I was dead the whole time. Because that's essentially what you find out in The Hitchhiker is that Orson Welles died on the way out of New York. So it's not even like he just died. He died right in the beginning of his road trip. Well, and that's why the man has the rain splattered on him because it was raining in New York and you get the idea that that was maybe the impetus of the accident he had. Wasn't it on the Brooklyn Bridge or it was on? Yes, it was on the Brooklyn Bridge, I think. So that's why the man has the rain splatters. That's the significance. And then you constantly wonder throughout, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, about like, how is he communicating with real people? what is this world of like are the people that he's communicating with dead too but the people that are dead don't see death they don't see the hitchhiker so you're constantly like what's real what's not yeah that's what's cool and creepy about it i love creepy road stories like stories that take place on the road because i think one of the most surreal and odd and kind of scary experiences is driving late at night and you're driving down a road that is so dark that you can't see where you're going. And if you're all alone and you're going into the absolute unknown, because you can't even see it, but you're not just going a little bit, you're like barreling into the unknown because you're in a car. And I've had several times where I'll be driving alone at night in the dark and I'll go like, this is what life is. But, you know, because I've seen so many Twilight Zone episodes where it's the same thing, uh, what I find interesting about this story in particular is that he finds out that he's dead, but the story ends with him going like, and I'm still driving. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what happens now. And you go like, it's incredibly interesting that the story is full of such ambiguity to where you're going like, is he talking to real people? Can the real people see him? Is he one of these highway ghosts that you hear about? I've never heard about a highway ghost. I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, we don't need to go into it, but this is like a thing where most of what you hear about is like a ghost hitchhiker. I'm sure you've heard about this of like you pick up a hitchhiker then you go and then the hitchhiker says i'm going to this address you drive to the address and it's a cemetery and and the hitchhiker oh, is gone where they go there and they're like hey did you get your son and they're like our son died 12 years ago and he's like but i just came around. any variation yeah. of it there's something very odd and mysterious about the road and being trapped on an endless highway it's odd it's it's creepy as i was listening to it i was not thinking about the idea the interpretation of the of everyone else being dead that he's with that he encounters because you go like it is possible because he encounters a what like a gas station the one really cranky man that's like no you can't come in and have a pop which i love that they're calling it pop because i just went oh yay look at that are you from michigan and then he the woman uh so that was that's the three people 
I think I forgot to mention too in my synopsis that the hitchhiker, the reason that it's scary is because he keeps seeing the same man over and over again in all these spots ahead of him. And it's impossible for him to have shown up. And then as he's going faster and faster, he says, I start to speed up and I could still see the man here and there and, you know. So it's yeah. like you get the supernatural sense from it that it's not normal. He is actively seeking out people to drive with him because he's afraid. And he yes. has this woman come in the car with him and she doesn't see the hitchhiker. And also he behaves like a psychopath and then is like, why don't you want to drive with me? And I'm like, because you just said you wanted to murder that guy. So He says, I'm trying to hit this man. Tell me when you see him. And then she's like, I'm getting out of here. And he's like, why? Come on, I'll drive you to California. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's great. It's really fun in the story how he's like, okay, I'm driving on this road. I'm so lonely and I'm scared and I'm tired and all of this. And he feels tempted to pick up the hitchhiker. And you're going like, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to pick up this hitchhiker and that this hitchhiker, who is death, will lead you to wherever you need to go. But he refuses to do it even when he finds out he's dead because he's filled with the sense of like kind of comfort but also terror from the hitchhiker and then he says i'm going to kill the hitchhiker i get the sense that i'm just going to run him down and then he ends the story where he still hasn't picked up the hitchhiker and the hitchhiker is i think still trying to flag him down I'd love to see a sequel to the story. I like the story because um, the performances are great. Orson Welles is always a treat to listen to, even though he kind of, he does like an opening for this story where he's like play acting at being humble, but you like, you're so full of yourself. You're Orson Welles. And he's like, I don't know why you guys always think I do thrillers. I only did that one, that one time. And now you think it forever, but that's fine audience. You're allowed to think that. I guess I'll never live down that one time when I did the most famous thing ever. But sure, if you want to say it's an Orson Welles story, sure. I guess that's fine. Here's the story for you. He's such a humble bragger. There's a reason why he's so famous because his voice is, it's an iconic voice and he's a great actor and it's a great story. Again, it's really fun to listen to a protagonist who, again, is flawed. Because this guy is like talking about running down a hitchhiker. He's losing his mind. And um, I like that he won't even accept that he's dead, even after he finds out that he's dead. He's supposed to pick up the hitchhiker, but he won't, he can't do it. And it's, he describes the feeling of like what, what it would feel like to pick up the hitchhiker and why he's afraid of it. It's like, he's yeah. like, I know something would happen to me if I did it. I'm too scared of that. So it's like this man yeah. that's like desperately afraid of change, desperately afraid of yeah. facing whatever is on the other side of this feeling. I just think that's so interesting. I hadn't pieced that together before of like, he's supposed to pick up the hitchhiker because in our world, in my mind, you don't ever, ever, ever pick up a hitchhiker. So it's interesting that death right. would come as a hitchhiker because it's like, I would think, no, you're not supposed to pick up a hitchhiker. So the fact that you're right in this universe, that's like the plan. That's what he's supposed to do. Yeah, again, it's a, it's a very strange cultural thing because uh, this was from, I don't know exactly 42, what year this 1942. one is. Well, it was written in 1941. This episode was 42. So... You just kind of go like, how common was hitchhiking back then? Because you say, I don't know what the ratio of like 
people versus cars was. Because nowadays you think about it and you say there are so many cars and so many people have cars. And you go like, especially like in Los Angeles, you say you can't not have a car in Los Angeles. Although I do know some people that do not have cars in Los Angeles. There are just so many cars. It's so common nowadays. Because when were cars invented? When were they like mass produced? The Tin Lizzie, wasn't that like 1910s? Maybe, I have no idea. I feel like 1920s was when it became more commonplace to have a car, when more people right. had cars. That's what right. I think, but I don't know. You just kind of go like, by the time we were born, cars had been around for, you know, almost 100 years. There was just more time for hitchhiking to be a dangerous thing of like more time for you to say a hitchhiker will kill you or you'll get killed if you hitchhike, you know, and that became so in our mind, it is absolutely out of the question. You should never hitchhike or pick up a hitchhiker. But back in this time, it was more like, hey, where are you going? Well, it was, but then the mom also says, I wonder if the mom kind of cursed him almost because she's like one, hey, if you go, you're going to die. Two, don't pick up hitchhikers. Doesn't his mom say that to him? Or he says that to her, like, don't worry, I won't pick up hitchhikers. There's an exchange there where it was like, don't worry, I know what's safe. I know I'm not supposed to pick up hitchhikers. It was like less dangerous than it would be now, I think, but it was still kind of... There are so many famous hitchhiking stories. There's so many. I wonder what the first one was. Is this the first scary hitchhiking story? I don't know the answer. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is. So there's another radio play that's like this. It's like a mix of sorry, wrong number in this, but it's the people trapped in the car and there might be a serial killer outside. A killer has escaped from an asylum. They hear it on the radio. They're stuck in the car in the woods. A woman comes up and needs help. Is she the killer? Is she not? And it's like this kind of story of like, ah, what do we do? I don't know. Is that a hitchhiking story? Probably not, I guess. It's a car, but. I guess so. Yeah. Picking up a stranger on the road. That's a hitchhiker. hundred percent. So yeah, I don't know if this was the first famous one. But you go, it's obviously early enough that it can just be called the hitchhiker. What I think is very interesting is it's obviously very early, but already I would say it is a more nuanced story about hitchhiking. Like it's not like it's about you pick up a hitchhiker, the hitchhiker is a ghost. The twist is that the person driving is a ghost. So you go like, this is already sixth sensing it. (laughs) Already they were going like, the twist is, is that he's the ghost. He's the dead people that we see. And I like that he's going like the hitchhiker. There isn't anything scary about the guy or anything like that. It's just that he keeps on showing up and he says he's a completely mundane person and in some way that is more terrifying to him. Nothing sinister about him. Drab as a mud fence. He stood waiting, drooping. And I was like, oh, that's a great description. You just kind of picture a droopy man with this specific like cheap overnight case and then the rain on the shoulders. I haven't seen the Twilight Zone episode in some time. When they adapted it, was the person driving a man or was it a woman? So this story's actually been told from all of those perspectives. 
It's been yeah. retold several times. I know that it's been told from a woman's perspective and from a man's. I haven't seen the Twilight Zone episode, so I don't know. But when I saw it, I saw like a short film that someone had made where it was a woman. And it, that was The Hitchhiker. And I think there was a cartoon. Wasn't there one where they're like, ain't I a stinker? Don't you remember that? So I feel like this has been done so much in pop culture and it's been retold so many times. I have so many different visions of it. It's very interesting because like these old radio shows, you were talking about earlier how they would use the same one in different programs. And you think about like even War of the Worlds. For anyone that doesn't know, there was a very famous thing where they did a dramatic reading of War of the Worlds, a version of War of the Worlds Orson Welles did, and it's the thing that he's referring to in the intro of this story, where they acted like it was an actual news broadcast about like here's an invasion that is happening and people thought it was real and there was like a thing where people were panicking because they tuned into this radio program and they thought it was real radio programs and these kind of old stories they are very much more like folklore kind of things because they're like this oral history thing it seems like the story elements are shared so commonly and I think that these stories, they weave themselves into the fabric of uh, culture so quickly that you go, how many different versions of this same hitchhiker story have I seen or heard? And it's interesting to go, okay, here's the first one. So they had done it a year before on Orson Welles' program. He does, his program is called Mercury Theater on the Air. And I think that's what they would have done it on. And that's the thing you were talking about, the War of the Worlds episode. That was 1938. Everything Nick said was right, except apparently the media built it up to be bigger because they liked the story so much. So apparently not that many people were afraid. Like, people were afraid and people called the radio station. But it was the same night as the Charlie McCarthy show, which was a very popular program. So actually people were listening to that more than his show. Um, Um, But it became infamous because enough people called the radio station to be like, is this real? What do I do? Is this really happening? Are we really being invaded? That it kind of became um, like folklore, like what you were just saying, something bigger than itself and what he became famous for. I'm pretty sure there's a Pinky and the Brain episode where their plan is to fake an alien invasion by doing a War of the Worlds kind of thing. (laughs) I think it happened. I'm not 100% sure, though. I have a memory of it. Yeah, so The Hitchhiker, it's great. I've seen so many different iterations of a hitchhiking story. I've seen ones where, like, I can't remember exactly what movie this is in, but it's in some kind of anthology horror movie. It might be a creep show or something like that, where there's somebody, it's a woman, I think, that is driving, and she sees a hitchhiker, and she hits the hitchhiker by accident. And then throughout the rest of the thing, she keeps seeing the hitchhiker and the hitchhiker keeps on reappearing to her and they keep on getting more and more dead throughout the thing. And it's like a zombie kind of deal. But that one isn't as beautiful as this story. Now, this is just really well done, really well written. And I do want to like also put out there, we were talking earlier about the sound effects that they use. They're incredible. Like, you forget that you're listening to a play that's being done. You're not thinking about the person making the sounds. You're really hearing, I I mentioned earlier, I think the train sounds were excellent. They utilize very simple sounds, and they, it's like, 
to make us wait he'll dial the phone and he has to put all of the change in and that takes a while and it builds and it builds they use just sounds without speaking without dialogue to build up the suspense so in sorry wrong number it's her constantly having the ticks of what it sounds like to dial someone and hearing the busy signal over and over again or having the phone ring and she answers it and there's no one on the line again and again so they use these little little sounds to build and i love it yeah and this one there's a lot of nice car sounds and just even the hitchhiker going hello because that's pretty much all he says yeah that is all he says he has one line where he's like where are you going the guy's like not where you're going i've thought about it before and i was like okay if i was in this guy's situation where i found out that i was dead I would be relieved because I because I go like, oh, good, there's something after. Or like, it makes sense now. Oh. Yeah, you just go, I would love nothing more than to find out because I'm so afraid of dying. So I would love nothing more than to find out. Don't worry, you're, you've already are dead. I'd go, oh, good. I don't have to be afraid of that. Oh, <laughs> I think it's so interesting. I don't know that that's necessarily one of my fears because I, I don't know. I think I fear a painful death more than I fear, like, actually. Like, I don't want to die. The oblivion? The oblivion? The nothingness? Well, because I, maybe it's because I'm, like, a super spiritual person, so I, like, feel connected to all of that anyway now. Oh, okay. Like, I feel like it's okay. still, it's, like, energy that's already a part of everything. Like, You're right. This is, this, this episode makes you start thinking about like, what is death? What is the afterlife? Because again, I love that the end of this episode is he's driving and he doesn't know where he's going. And he's just driving. It doesn't resolve it. And he is still too afraid to pick up the hitchhiker. And I go like, it's, it leaves it in, in a, a very interesting uh, place. Do you think that the 666 wasn't complete because it's not complete yet? Do you know what I mean? Like it could the number could have been 666. Sarah, the devil I thing. Think, I no? think that 666 is like the the number of like the devil and the like the antichrist kind of thing. Okay. It's 666. I don't really the mark understand. of the beast. So I I think that the 666 is less about like here's an afterlife kind of thing. I think it's like a tattoo or something, a, a birthmark on the someone who's supposed to bring about the end of the world. Got it. So it's not like the devil. Like it doesn't symbolize hell necessarily. Because I was like maybe it's undecided now. Like because they made us listen to all those quarters, and I was thinking, what's the point of this? Is it to be realistic, or is there a meaning to these numbers of quarters that we're listening to? Because you hear six plops twice in a row. But then you don't hear six plops the third time. So I was like, oh, maybe this is like, I don't know. It's 85 cents. The last one's 85 cents. Well, you know what? You take five. You subtract it from eight. That's three. You multiply three times two. It's six. Just maybe it's because it hasn't been decided necessarily yet. Where is he going to end up? Well, he's going to end up in Hollywood. So he's just got to make it to Hollywood. You know, Hollywood, hell, what's the difference, right? But I think he just really feels the need to get to California. So maybe once he gets to California, he'll be like, okay, I've done it. I made the trip. I saw the ocean. I would love the sequel where he goes like, where is California? I keep driving. Where is it? You know? But he's getting there because he's in Gallup, New Mexico. So he really is, he's getting there. Yeah, he really is making some good time. I like to think that on one hand, I'm like, okay, he actually is a ghost traveling across the country and he is interacting with real people. I think that that's something. Another thought is to say everyone that he interacts with now is dead. And you go, 
the hitchhiking woman is dead. She's the more interesting character. I don't care about like the clerks and the people that he talks to, but this woman who goes like, hey, thanks for the ride. And, and then he says crazy things. And then she goes, I think I'm going to get out of the car now. I like that aspect of the story. Well, and she's fun. That's why we like her. I mean, she's like, do you mind if I take my shoes off? My dogs are barking. And you're like, ooh, I like you already. I wish that she was in in it more. That's my one critique. If you want to rewrite the story and re-record it, that'd be great. Well, and she hitchhikes a lot, so you do get the sense maybe she's like him. Is she the hitchhiker? Maybe she's death, you know? Her dogs are Cerberus. But then the other thing that I think is, is all of it his own personal, his own personal afterlife. And none of these people are really real people. And he's just like in some kind of limbo now until he accepts the fact that he's dead. Because you go like, obviously he can't really call his mother because he's dead. Well, and he doesn't speak to her either. He speaks to someone he doesn't know. And you go like, did he really make that phone call to the address? Or is it some kind of, you know, more of a metaphysical thing where he is a ghost who then finds out a oh, way this is what's going on in the real world now. And I like that they don't give you any answers because I think answers are boring. They give you more of a description of what he looks like than they give you answers. I'm 36. My name's Ronald. I got a mustache. This is me. Yes. He does say that he has a mustache. And you're like, oh, I know who you are now. Wow. Thanks for sharing that bit of information with me. I was like, you know, I'm really glad you told me that. If I didn't know you had a mustache this whole time, it would have taken me out of the story. They should really retitle it The Mustache. <laughs> the Mustache. And also a hitchhiker. So Lucille Fletcher, total badass. Also, I love seeing a woman succeed. It just feels really good. And I like seeing her be revered by men. So what Orson Welles said of her, her Sorry Wrong Number script was the single greatest radio script ever written. And he says this as someone who writes radio scripts. We mentioned earlier he's not great at the humble brag. Like, he's not yeah. a humble person, so him saying this means something. It has weight. I yeah. do like that Orson Welles seems to champion women here, though. I feel like he, like, put Agnes Moorhead on the map and is, like, complimenting Lucille Fletcher. I know almost nothing about him in real life. He could have been a huge dick. Yeah, I don't, I don't know too much about him. He was married to Rita Hayworth. They made a movie together. Oh. He says she liked the marriage. I don't think she necessarily liked it that much. We'll talk about all this another time. He says, I was married to her. She loved it. We were married the longest of all the people she was married to, so she clearly liked it. Again, he's a very humble man. Real humble guy. So Lucille Fletcher, she's from Brooklyn, which is why he probably died on the Brooklyn Bridge. She knows Brooklyn. She was a champion student orator. That's kind of how she got her start. So she won this thing at 17, this contest that took her to South America and gave her $1,000. And she got to go to the nationals of this orating competition. And she got third in the whole country. And she was the only woman from the New York area to even win anything. So that's awesome. And she went to Vassar. She got her Bachelor of Arts there. She was a music librarian for a while. And that's how she met her husband, Bernard Herman who we mentioned earlier, conducted the piece of The Hitchhiker. He cheated on her with Who Lucy. Who also cheated on her with her cousin, Lucy. 
That's why they got divorced, but still worked together. Scumbag. Yeah. Don't worry. She got married again to this guy, Douglas Wallop, who was a writer, and they were married until he died. So that was a good one. Okay, good. And that's what I wrote down about her. She just is so masterful about the radio. She layers things. Like the way you get information from a play on stage, she's able to capture through the radio, through sound. And not everyone can do that. And she has layers and nuance to things. And she's great with like a twist. She's so good at coming up with something that maybe you didn't see coming that's kind of messed up and twisted. And she gets away with it, I think. She's so smart about the way she writes. And a lot of her pieces do feature women in not uh, ideal situations. They aren't, they're like the imperfect heroine where you're kind of rooting for them a little bit, but they're really messed up. And in some cases have done something actually really terrible, the characters. So she wrote radio plays? What, what else did she write? So two of my other favorites, that I thought about doing in place of The Hitchhiker. <laughs> the Nightman is great. I really like The Nightman. Nightman. Check it out. It's really cool. It's, again, something that unravels as you go, and you think you know the protagonist, and then you, you're like, oh, God. She's great with exposition. It's usually not a character coming in and being like, here's the exposition. It's usually revealed naturally through circumstances uh, that she puts her characters in. So, yeah, The Nightman is really cool. I recommend checking it out. Same with Fugue in C Minor which I think became a movie. A lot of her stuff became movies and became yeah. plays and became episodes of things and her ideas are used a lot. And also just in general, classic radio plays are so cool because prolific writers wrote for them. Like we have Dashiell Hammett, Dorothy B. Hughes, Raymond Chandler, Ray Bradbury. Like we have all these really cool writers or at least stuff based on them too. So I recommend just checking that out. You can type those names and radio plays in and things will pop up. You're going to do more though, right? We could. Yes. I cannot recommend radio plays enough. Please go check them out. I will say I mentioned this earlier. Radio plays can be hard to listen to because they really depict people of color terribly, like in a very racist way. It's hard to listen to. A lot of times women are depicted very terribly. It's very strong gender roles and um, it can be incredibly sexist. That kind of stuff can be hard to listen to. But then on the flip side of it, there's also really cool stuff like this radio play that you don't necessarily want to miss out on. So if you're listening to something and you're like, this sucks, turn it off. I do it all the time. If there's a racist character that comes in, I'm like, oh, we're done here. No, no, no. Bye-bye. And I can turn it off. And then also there's things like Johnny Dollar. He always falls in love with a woman and she always does it. And you're like, of course she's the murderer because it's Johnny Dollar and the show is sexist as hell. I still listen to it, but God, it's sexist. Okay. So some shows that I like that I would recommend. These are not the double features. This is just where to start. Um, I tend to love a cozy detective mystery. It's my jam. So my favorite on the show is called, I'm so sorry, this name is terrible. It's called Boston Blackie. It's about Horatio Black, a reformed jewel thief who solves crimes with his um, girlfriend, Mary, who's a nurse and they're really cool and I like them and it's like kind of feminist. And the only episodes that are good are the Richard Calmer ones. So don't look at the other guy. I forget his name. Don't listen to his. Just listen to Richard Calmer. Mystery is My Hobby is also really fun. Another kind of cozy mystery. It's interesting because what they do is they set up the scene first. So they'll, not a lot of detective shows do this. Usually it's told from the detective's point of view. The Mystery is My Hobby, they'll set up like a play first where you'll meet all the characters and then the detective comes in. So it's fun. Suspense is always great. Not always. There are some duds in the 946 episodes, but... The earlier ones tend to be better. Look up movie stars you like, because those episodes tend to be good. So like Ida Lupino has an awesome episode. Agnes Moorhead, you just heard. Um, 
Myrna Loy has a great episode. Cary Grant has some great episodes. If you like a movie star, check them out for suspense because they probably got a good episode. Barbara Stanwyck has a good episode. Um, I like Casey Crime Photographer. I like Armis Brooks. The Adventures of Nero Wolf is um, Sydney Greenstreet's show. It's, again, incredibly sexist, but still fun to listen to because it's just ridiculous. He plays a very fat man who does not leave his chair and solves crime, and it's, it's just fun. Rocky Fortune is Frank Sinatra, also fun to check out. Again, very sexist, I've warned you. Uh, and then they also do um, movies on the radio. So like Lux Radio Theater, Academy Award Theater, Screenwriters Guild. They take movies and they shorten them, and it's really cool. So you can hear things like The Thin Man or The Maltese Falcon. There's so many great like movies that have been condensed. And then there's movies that you never want to see as a movie, but you love as a radio play. Like Frank Sinatra did one called Wake Up and Live that I love every year. And I've never seen the movie and I don't even want to because I love the radio play so much. And same with, uh, there's one called Champagne for Caesar that I really, is so stupid and I really enjoy it, but it's way better on the radio. So yeah, there's certain things, just check it out, like get into the world. I swear to God, it's so much fun. You're going to love it. So that wasn't even the double feature. Yeah. You can listen to it doing anything. Yeah. But that's just like, I don't know where to look. Oh, and then, um, Johnny Dollar specifically with, uh, Bob Bailey, because there were like 12 Johnny Dollars and he's the one that's good. There you go, guys. And, um, the one, one with... The one with Dick Powell. What's it called? It's um, da 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 da. That one's good too. So <laughs> those are the good ones. And then for Nick, I wrote down specific recommendations for you. Oh, fun! I don't love the scary ones, but you would love Lights Out. You would love Inner Sanctum, and you would love Weird Circle. Those are all the creepy ones. Okay. They have a lot of them that are just creepy. I like the creepy stuff. You know me. There's one called Poltergeist that they play at Halloween, and I'm like, oh, Nick would love this one. So yes, that's for you. I- I would love to hear that. Yep. And then so for double features, we are now at the double feature portion. Here's what's embarrassing. I couldn't find the names of two of them that I would love for people to listen to with Sorry Wrong Number because they're both ones that take place in real time. Um, But I don't know the names of them. So I'll tell you the plot and I'll work on getting you the names. If you want to just listen to Lucille Fletcher, I already said check out, um, I think it's The Nightman and uh, Fugue in C Minor. Check those out. And then... um, There's these two radio plays. One has been done several times. I think Cary Grant was in one of them, so I think you can look up Cary Grant um, and see what episodes he's done. And it's either Suspense or Escape, and it's like I mentioned earlier. It's the couple that are on a road trip. It starts to rain. Their car gets stuck in the mud. They're trapped. They hear over the radio, a female killer has escaped the local asylum, and a woman comes to the car begging for shelter. So that's the setup, and it takes place in real time, and it's great. And then there's another one that's similar to Sorry, Wrong Number. It's a woman on the phone the whole time. Her husband, and again, it's been done several times. It's escape or suspense. And it's a woman who has just found evidence that her husband is innocent of a crime that he was convicted for. And they're about to kill him. He's about to like be put on the electric chair. And she's trying to get through to the jail to be like, I have the evidence. Don't kill him. And it's so good. It's so suspenseful. It feels a lot like this, except you really like her the whole time and really hope that she gets through. So that's what I would recommend for that. And then for the Orson Welles coin of it, the hitchhikerness of it all, um, I would say check out Mercury Theater. He did a lot of things with that. He did The War of the Worlds, as we mentioned. Check it out. There's also, um, he did Count of Monte Cristo and Around the World in 80 Days. 
Sometimes I'm super bored by his stuff. I'm sorry, it's true. I, I Sometimes I just can't listen to his radio theater. I think it's kind of boring. But what I think is cool about the Monte Cristo one is they needed a particular sound of waves crashing. And so he ended up recording it in a bathroom and they would flush the toilet behind him to get the sound of the waves crashing in his jail cell. And so I think it's worth listening to just for that because it's so interesting. And the waves were crashing. <laughs> toilet flushing. That's yeah. so funny. And that's what I would recommend to anybody starting you, out. You heard it. Listen to all of that. All of it. Right now. I know nothing has been resolved, but that's the way I like it. I'm trying to think if there's anything that people that might like these stories might also like. I don't know anything too much about radio plays. Sarah is definitely the person to listen to and all that. Hitchhiker things. Again, just watch any episode of The Twilight Zone. It'll either be about a hitchhiker or someone is dead, it turns out, or or the farmer was death or whatever. You know, there's so many of those. And then um, The Twilight Zone movie, if you want something like scary. No, I don't, but my audience might. With The Road, if you want to um, be cursed with something scary like I had to be when I was a kid, so now you have to be scared too for the rest of your life, there's the movie of The Twilight Zone that they made. And it's like an anthology movie. It has a bunch of different parts. And the very beginning of the movie is two people driving. They're on a road trip. I don't remember exactly who the two actors are, but one is Dan Aykroyd. And it's a fantastic scene where it's two people driving. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're like listening to music and then the radio goes out and they go, oh, well, what do we do now? The radio's out. They start playing this game where they go like, oh, well, let's let's sing a theme song. And you try to guess what the theme song is. And so they start doing it and they go like, oh, that's Bewitched or that's this or that's that. And then the one guy goes like, and he goes like, oh, that's the Twilight Zone. And then they start talking about the Twilight Zone and they go, that show is scary. And then the guy driving goes like, hey, you want to see something really scary? And he turns off the headlights and he's just driving through the dark with no headlights on and dan Aykroyd's in the in the seat and dan Aykroyd's like hey man you, you're freaking me out just turn the lights back on and then the guy goes okay he turns the lights back on and then dan Aykroyd goes like you want to see something really scary i don't want to spoil anything but you should watch it oh that was a good it's setup great. nick boy <laughs> yeah. can you tell me what happens yeah i'll tell you what happens when i was a kid and i saw it it was one of the scariest things oh i ever God. saw okay <laughs> sounds scary yeah but it's got some fun road action so there's all that i did remember one thing i wanted to say before we go which is um oh oh this is a separate thing but the show was richard diamond private detective that just came to me the show where I whistled there you that go. thing. That's another one that you guys have to listen to before you do anything else. Stop whatever you're doing in your life and listen to the 27 radio shows, which I just told you, and then also watch the movies that Nick said. What I actually also wanted to add before we go is that what I think is cool about radio plays is that they're kind of testaments to their time. So at the beginning or end, they might have something or add something like the intros and outros we heard. And so at the end of the Hitchhiker episode, so this is all happening during World War II and like the US is in the war at this point. And Orson Welles has this speech about like, hey, 
Nazis suck. Do you want to fight the Nazis? Here's what you can do to fight the Nazis. And I just love these pieces of history that are like put in the story. So it's not even that it's a part of the plot, but you're getting this like time capsule of a moment in time about this is how we did things. And like this was heard by people live on the radio and this is what they would have heard. It was just one of those things where I was like, I think that's so cool about listening to these shows. You get like the real life moments like that because we didn't say it earlier, but like, think about it. You wouldn't have necessarily recorded this as a listener at home. The reason they did these plays so much was because you would hear it and you couldn't capture it. You couldn't keep it. Like, thank God we have the recordings today, but people wouldn't have listened to this on a recording. It would have been live on the radio. The link that you sent me for The Hitchhiker, it's a YouTube video that Sarah sent me. And it's like this person that has a bunch of episodes of suspense that they have curated and said i only picked the good ones and they have like a description on the youtube video going like we only have the things that people had the foresight to record because there were so many radio programs that were just live radio programs that no one recorded there's so much lost media, just like there's so much lost television and things like that. It's like treasures. It's like finding a time capsule. And it's stuff. like how we don't have all of Shakespeare's plays. Like, we'll never know about the other. Yeah, we, the other ones are probably bad. Just a bunch of Titus Andronicus is over and over again. Listen to it. You'll feel like you're uncovering a relic. You'll feel like an archaeologist. You have to listen to it. Drop whatever you're doing. You're not allowed to watch it or listen to anything else until you listen to everything Sarah told you to. Thanks, Nick. That's it for our program today. Thank you so much for listening to Talk Classic to me, and we'll see you next time. Hey, everyone. Sarah here. Uh, so I found out the names to the two double feature uh, shows that I wanted to share with you, but I didn't know at the time of recording. Um, one of them is called Long Distance, and it stars this woman, Jan Minor. Her name is spelled M-I-N-E-R, and it was part of a show called Lights Out. That was the title of the show. So if you want to do a search, you can search for that online. It'll come up. They did several recordings of it with Jan Miner. So if you don't get the Lights Out one, it's still going to be great and you should listen. And then the other one was called On a Country Road. And it starred Cary Grant. And it's from 1950. And it was on Suspense. So yeah, just type both of those titles and the stars into whatever search engine you use. And things are going to come up for you and you can have a listen. We hope you enjoy them. And thanks for listening. You have been listening to Talk Classic to Me with Sarah Greenfield. That's me. My guest this week was Nick Lang. They will be featured on our Instagram page. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. And maybe if you feel like it, maybe even leave like a five star little rating there. But no pressure. But like if you feel like it, yeah, that'd be great. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talk Classic to Me. Thanks for listening.